Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning. Welcome to Spotlight on Maryland and Happy New Year. It's your host, Gina Crash, for the next half hour or so. Really excited to introduce you to my two guests this morning, and they are both from the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society. We've got first up Mark Osteen. He is the vice chair of the board of the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society, also a professor of English at Loyola University in Maryland, a musician and an author. Wow, Mark, I feel like I haven't done anything. How are you doing? I'm very well. How about you? Excellent. Thank you for joining us. And also we have with us this morning, Leslie Gilden. She is a board member of the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society and also a marketing consultant. Welcome, Leslie. Hey, thanks so much. And you know what I love about Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society so much is that your organization has never wavered in your commitment to the art form and to Baltimore in spite of having to close down for more than a year uh, previously during the early part of the pandemic. We'll talk about all that. So, you both should be commended for your fortitude for keeping the arts alive, no matter what you have to go through. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. We know it is definitely a labor of love, and we'll find out even more about it. And that being said, you know, if people have never heard of the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society, uh, tell us how long has the organization been around and why was it formed? And real quick, I will just tell people that Mark uh, is joining us by phone and Leslie's on uh, an app. So um, both of you are going to be chiming in throughout the interview and adding to the conversation. So we're also being, um, you know, COVID safe here with the way that we're doing and conducting this interview. So people are going to hear both of you chime in and feel free to do so um, whenever you want. Well, we've been around for 30 plus years. Um, the creation of the nonprofit is kind of a Baltimore story. There were three, three friends in 1990 uh, sitting around a dinner table talking about you know, lack of opportunities to hear good jazz in Baltimore. And they remembered, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember this, the King of France Tavern in Annapolis, yeah. where National Acts used to perform. And then, of course, there were those concerts at the famous ballroom uh, sponsored by the Left Bank Jazz Society up through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. <clears throat> that was always Sundays at 5 p.m. And so they kept talking. And as they talked, the, uh, an idea took shape, the creation of a society that could give serious jazz its due in concerts in a smaller auditorium. That was one of the key ideas, because in a smaller place, audiences could listen and watch without distraction. And so the society they formed would be relatively lean, managed by volunteers, and all financial resources devoted to the musicians, not a lot of overhead. And these were people who were interested in jazz and had the skills necessary to start and run a nonprofit, very diverse group. They raised startup money from the board members, and the first show was at the Meyerhoff Theater at the Park School, spring of 1991, so 30-plus years. 
we've been going on. That's incredible. Yes, you are celebrating your 30th anniversary. And uh, we're going to be talking about you know some performances coming up this year in, in a uh, truncated spring season, which is very exciting. And on this program, we always uh, feature nonprofits, so it is important to note that you are definitely nonprofit. And uh, also, what is your mission? The mission has has remained the, the same since that first dinner table meeting. The idea was, and still is, we want to bring outstanding jazz musicians to Baltimore. We want to present them in an intimate concert setting. We want to keep ticket prices as low as possible, and we want to carry forward the long and illustrious history of jazz in our city. That's a, and that's that's, that's a, really it. It in a nutshell. Absolutely, that's a that's a wonderful mission to have. And were you both there at the uh, at the starting point at that table? Um, you have you been with the, the organization since the beginning? No, neither of us has. Um, I joined. I guess it's been eleven years ago now. Um, I was at the, at the time the president of a different nonprofit in Baltimore, the Baltimore Jazz Alliance, and so I had two hats. And I've since um, moved away from the. Uh, Baltimore Jazz Alliance, but I've been on the board now for this is my 12th year. And Leslie joined after that. I forget which year that was. I've uh, been working on behalf of the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society for about five years and on the board for a couple of years. But I did want to say that there are two founding members who are board members who were there from the very, very beginning. And there, uh, one is the chair, uh, chair of the board, and the other is is a board member. But they've been been with with this uh, with this effort since the very beginning. That's incredible. And uh, with the chamber part of the name of the organization, when people hear chamber, they might think of classical music. So, um, what is the uh, significance of the chamber part of the name? Right. That's people always ask that question, and um, you know, uh, we have to explain it, which is a good thing. So yes, it was originally a name for a kind of classical music that was performed, you know, smaller groups in intimate settings, usually a string quartet or smaller ensemble. In this case, it means that um, the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society does not present big bands or larger ensembles. We've had, I guess, up to seven-piece groups before, but usually combos, you know, three, four, five uh, musicians. And it also means we do our best to maintain that intimacy. The, the idea was smaller auditorium. Uh, more intimate performances, because the VMA Auditorium seats 350. So uh, patrons can approach the artist to chat during the break. They can get CDs signed and generally feel like they're part of the show. So uh, the idea of Chamber is that it's, it's all of us in it together, and you know there's kind of a closeness, a close-knit quality to the uh, performances and to the atmosphere. Yeah, and you mentioned VMA, so all your concerts, if people don't know, do take place in the Baltimore Museum of Art Auditorium, right? That's right. That's correct. Awesome. And see, we're learning something already this morning. Um, and of course, we know uh, here in our great city of Baltimore has such a rich jazz history. I think you can both tell us a little bit about that. A lot of, you know, pretty legendary um, artists, music, jazz artists who are from Baltimore or were educated here. Um, you might recognize some of these names, Cab Calloway, mm-hmm. Billy Holiday, who was actually born in Philadelphia, but was educated here, the drummer Chick Webb. And going way back, U.B. Blake, the phenomenal ragtime piano player. And then we have musicians such as uh, the great tenor sax player Mickey Fields, who played with national artists but chose to stay in Baltimore. And then Baltimore, Baltimore also claims you know, major contemporary artists, uh, Gary Bartz, Cyrus Chestnut, Antonio Hart, Warren Wolf, uh, among many others. And then, of course, there was um, in the 50s and 60s, there was a whole corridor on Pennsylvania Avenue 
there were more than 20 jazz clubs in that neighborhood in the 50s to early 60s, and so Baltimore was really a jazz mecca at the time. And there's a book um, called Music at the Crossroads, Lives and Legacies of Baltimore Jazz, and in that uh, book there's an article about the Pennsylvania Avenue jazz scene and a map of where the clubs were. And then, of course, you mentioned the uh, Left Bank Jazz Society. Starting in the early 60s, they began to sponsor national jazz artists. Sundays at 5 was always the time. And by 1966, the shows were staged almost entirely at the famous ballroom, which is where the Charles Theater is located now. And if you know that part of town, you know it's a quick walk from Penn Station, the train station. Mm -hmm. So artists could walk. They could take the train from New York City on a Sunday, play their show, get a great meal, and get back to Manhattan that same night. And that was one of the reasons they had the Sundays at 5 thing. And... um, in that same book, Music of the Crosswords, there's a list of the uh, Left Bank and fam- uh, famous ballroom concerts. Not a complete list, but an almost complete list of those artists. And so Baltimore's history is all-encompassing, in fact, our jazz history. And so what we've tried to do is, I guess, pick up the torch. So that's one of the reasons we have concerts Sundays at 5, because that's when the Left Bank held their concerts. And it seems to be a good time for most people. Yeah, I love that tradition. That's interesting. And we've got to pick up that book at the library for sure. I could send you one if you'd like. Excellent. Yes, that would be great. Um, and so, Leslie, do you want to add a little bit about uh, Baltimore's rich jazz history, too? I think Mark has really He's covered really- almost almost all of it. But I will add one interesting fact, and that is that the great John Coltrane played his last concert here. How about that? Oh, my gosh, that's I'd incredible. Really att- t- I know. It is incredible. Awful in some ways, of course, I know, it being his I know. last concert. but. But that John Coltrane would play here. I mean, that made perfect sense about, um, as Mark had indicated, the opportunities here for musicians. Mm-hmm. That it, everybody, anybody who was anybody in the jazz world played here. But yes, John Coltrane played his last concert here. Wow, we learned something new, too. Um, now, where does the organization fit in with the jazz scene in Baltimore now? Well, first of all, we try to spotlight musicians who have not performed here or have not played here in recently. Um, we try to respond to, you know, our folks. We have a long list of patrons, and, and they're very knowledgeable, and we try to uh, pay attention to what who they're listening to, who they want to hear. And so we will sometimes uh, absolutely be able to book some of their favorite artists. We've also partnered with another that nonprofit that Mark had mentioned, the Baltimore Jazz Alliance, to help build audiences and pub- publicize each other's programs and boost local and national musicians. Um, but ultimately, we consider ourselves to be the concert component of a scene that's really comprised of a large jazz club, which primarily features national acts, localized club venues such as Caton Castle, Nonprofit promoters such as Andy Music and numerous restaurants and churches who feature local musicians. We think our concerts fill out the options available to jazz lovers in the city and surrounding areas. Yeah, that's really the fabric of Baltimore. That's great that you are so, you know, all encompassing like that. And how about the organization's role in the broader cultural life of the city? We we are really proud to say that we offer a reasonably priced, easily accessed, high-quality cultural activity in our city. Reliably. It's always reasonably priced, easily accessed, and high-quality. Our Sunday, 5 p.m. at the Baltimore Museum of Art auditorium format really does make for... It's a low-stress outing. 
Uh, it's safe. It's easily accessed. Uh, parking around the BMA is free. The concerts are done around 7 p.m. so that patrons can go out for dinner if they'd like or get home, still having enough time to relax before preparing for the work or school week to start. And we really are a part of that Baltimore nonprofit cultural group, which includes organizations like Everyman, Chesapeake Shakespeare Company, the Shriver Hall series, series and the like. Each one of us contributes to, to creating and maintaining the cultural fabric of the city. And we're really proud to be um, in such august company. Absolutely. You guys have some great partners there, too. And, of course, uh, with the Baltimore Museum of Art as well. That's incredible. Right. You always get more accomplished when you work together, right? For sure. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Now, how big is the organization? Uh, lean. <laughs> As I mentioned in the beginning, lean <laughs> mean. Um, we, we focus on the music. Um, we only have one paid position, and it's a part-time administrative manager. Uh, there's a 16-member board of directors that's all volunteer, and each one of them is invested in keeping the art form alive. That's why they're on the board. And, um, you know, it's a working board. We write everything. We put everything together. Of course, I want to emphasize again, you know, the music is at the center of everything. That's where our focus is. It's on, you know, the, if you were to look at our website, the list going back to the 90s features all the big names in jazz practically. So that's what we try to do is focus on the music, uh, keep the overhead low so that we can pay the musicians what they deserve, and so we also don't have a lot of bureaucratic um, expenses involved. Yeah, your heart is in the right place. And the website, which you mentioned for people who don't know what it is, is uh, BaltimoreChamberJazz.org. And that's where they can find you and also find a link to where to find you on Facebook as well. That's right. That's great. Um, And who typically attends your concerts? And, you know, we might be reaching a whole new audience this morning talking to both of you, I hope, um, which might even enlighten others to, to check out shows if they haven't already. I hope so. Well, you know, people who love music and, of course, people who like jazz, um, there's a lot of local musicians, music educators, and students. Every, you know, there are people who try to attend lots of cultural events in town. These are people who belong to the Chesapeake Shakespeare Company or who go to the symphony or who go to Everyman or just, you know, like music. And, you know, anybody who's looking for something to do on a Sunday afternoon, that's another advantage because you've had your big weekend. Now how about something on a Sunday at 5 o'clock? There's not a lot of competition, so we tend to get uh, you know, a surprising number of folks we wouldn't have expected. Uh, you know, younger people, especially musicians who are learning, and um, others who are just like, well, I, I, I like this group, so I'm going to go out and hear them. And so it's, it's a mixed group, but um, we have our regulars too. There's, there's a core group who uh, attend almost every concert. That's great. And also you mentioned, you know, the importance of reaching the younger generation as well, too. It's really important for jazz, especially, because it seems to be the kind of music people come to, you know, a little bit later. You need a little bit of education sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's right. It can be a little intimidating um, at first. Yep. Leslie, did you want to pop in about something? Well, I was going to, yeah, I was just going to weigh in about that, that there's actually a very robust, you know, higher education jazz scene in this city where we've got Towson, uh, Morgan and Peabody. Uh, Peabody has a very robust jazz education uh, program. So those students all need to see, you know, musicians who are at their peak in their own, in the fields that they're studying. And we provide an option to do that. We also provide discounted, heavily discounted tickets for, for students. 
Oh, right. that's great. That's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. And can you describe the experience of attending a Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society concert? You know, the auditorium, the atmosphere, the amenities, that sort of thing. The concerts are really warm and welcoming, uh, starting with coming into the BMA. And if you haven't been to the museum in a while, you'll you'll be reminded of just how wonderful it is and how meaningful it is for our city. So coming into the BMA is always so lovely. Um, and on Sunday afternoons, you can grab a drink at Gertrude's. You can do some shopping at the museum store. And equally important, you can chat with other concert go- goers because most of these folks are so seriously involved with the, the art form that they really like trading stories about you know albums that they have and and uh, artists that they like. It's a very detailed jazz form, so people like uh, talking about all of those details. Also, the BMA's auditorium is extremely intimate. The room only seats 350 people, so there isn't a bad seat in the house. The stage is really close to the audience, so folks can really see and experience that. You know, the expertise and talent of those artists is pretty remarkable, actually. Mm-hmm. And the concerts yeah, and the only always, last... Um, I could just jump in here. The artists always, okay. almost invariably, talk about how much they like playing there because they're so close to the audience. They, it sounds really good in there. The acoustics are great. And, of course, they rave about the piano. <laughs> just have to throw that in, too. Oh, yeah. That's a, <laughs> I, I can't wait to get that down there. My goodness. Um, and let's talk about um, the music and the performers, too, a little more. Is there a certain type of jazz musician or group featured in the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society's concerts? And also, two-parter here, has this changed since the inception of the organization? Well, no, there isn't a type of music, and that's uh, intentional. We try to feature the whole spectrum of the jazz art form. So, you know, the last 20 years, we've had everything from, you know, classic beboppers to Latin jazz to the very latest chart toppers, vocalists, uh, instrumentalists on just about every instrument. So there's a range that we try to pay homage to the past, so uh, sometimes we've had, you know, legendary performers in there, such as Ron Carter, Houston Person, who's, by the way, on the top of the charts again this year, Dr. Lonnie Smith, Louis Hayes, artists of that generation. We also try to feature what's happening in jazz currently. So recent shows, we've had um, the piano phenom, under 30, Christian Sands, uh, vocalist Catherine Russell. We've had tenor sax, you know, heroes like Joe Lovano, Eric Alexander. We had Kurt Elling, the best-selling jazz vocalist. We've had um, Trio de Paz, Bazanova people. We had Bill O'Connell's Jazz All-Stars, Antonio Sanchez, everybody. So we really pride ourselves on diverse selection of artists, not only in style but in age and so forth, and, of course, in gender, too, which is why we're so excited about having Artemis here this year, the all-female um, jazz supergroup. Yeah, we're we're just about to jump into the three concert series, and but before we do that, real quick, um, just let us know because I know you guys have been really through a ton. So, how the organization has fared during the pandemic, and here we are in the middle of the Omicron variant. So, you know, know. the the, I I mean, and it's impacting everyone. It's not just the arts and restaurants and our industry. You know, you name it. Um, You see your TV newscaster broadcasting from their kitchen. You know, it happens, Um, and it hasn't gone away yet. So, I know it's really particularly tough as you are a nonprofit organization as well. Nonprofits have really been impacted by the pandemic, so you know, please let us know how it's how you fared, and then how others can help with that. Because I know it's always, um, you know, donations are always always appreciated. For sure. You know, in truth, we can't say we thrived during the pandemic because ticket sales are our main source of income, and we couldn't sell any tickets. But what we can say is that 
we came through it because we uh, we're very, very lean. We just don't carry any overhead. So we did uh, reduce expenses where we were able to, and we're prepared to do that again if we have to. But we stayed in touch with our patrons, reminding them that we were in a holding pattern, um, that we certainly weren't going anywhere. And we applied for and received various appropriate grants available for the city and Maryland for local arts organizations. And we're deeply thankful to have received some of those. Uh, they have really helped. And we're still ready, you know, for whatever the pandemic is throwing at us next, including the Omicron virus. I mean, if we have to limit our concert, limit the number of our concerts, uh, we'll, we will be prepared to do that. Um, we also follow the city's and BMA's guidelines for managing gatherings during any stage of the pandemic. Um, and, but ultimately, we maintain the perspective that, that just like jazz, uh, we keep going no matter what circumstances life throws at us. Absolutely. Your flexibility is key. And let's just be hopeful and, uh, and you know, shed some light and uh, promote the your three concert series, which is lined up for the spring. Tell us about the dates and, uh, you know, other exciting ways uh, that people can get their tickets and what they have to look forward to in this uh, truncated but really special spring season coming up. Sure. Um, so the first concert is scheduled now for February 20th, um, and that will feature New York Voices, which is an all-vocal group, the first vocal group that we featured at the BCJS for singers. And they have a mix of contemporary jazz and classics. I mean, the rearranged big band charts, highly imaginative combinations of two or three singers or one singer with backups, and they have great instrumentalists with them. Um, they came into being in the 80s. And they've kind of been in the shadow of Manhattan Transfer, although, frankly, I like New York voices better because I think they're, they're, uh, they're, they're more, have more variety. And they even have acapella sound, so that revived interest in acapella should help with that. So that's February 20th. And our second artist is Stefan Harris with his group Blackout. In case you don't know, he is a vibraphonist, but he's also an educator and a thought leader. And their album, Sonic Creed, was at the top of the jazz charts for quite a while last year. And it has quite a variety uh, of uh, uh, sounds and styles, including reimagined uh, classics um, from the 50s and 60s. And, of course, if you haven't heard them, you know, vibraphone is an, is an unusual instrument for many listeners, and it really adds a uh, unique sound to the mix there. And Mr. Harris is also a quite renowned educator. I mean, he's taught at the Manhattan School of Music. Um, he's got a distance learning studio. He was a professor at Rutgers and so forth. So we like that because we like our artists to help educate the audience as well. So talk about the music and tell us where it comes from and give us a little bit of background. And that concert will be on uh, April 10th. And then the last concert that I mentioned earlier is Artemis. And this is really exciting because that's an all-female supergroup. And, you know, as in lots of art forms, so in jazz, female artists have not been given the opportunities or attention that male artists have. And the, the existence of this group uh, shows that's changing. But it's called a supergroup because every one of the players in that group has been a band leader and has records out under her own name. So, for example, Rini Rossness, the piano player, has performed for BCJS in the past, has recently released two or three outstanding albums as a leader. Ingrid Jensen, the trumpet player, performed here two years ago. She's got several albums under her name. Annette Cohen, the clarinetist, was here with the group three or four years ago and just wowed everybody with her amazing playing. And then you have the tenor sax player, Melissa Aldana, and so forth. And their album, the self-titled album, their first album, 
has was lingered at the top of the charts for several months last fall when it was first released. And we're really thrilled to have them because we're the first venue to have them in Baltimore. And also, they're, they're known to play large, large venues and, and uh, you know, festivals. So having to be able to see them in a smaller uh, room, such as the VMA Auditorium, is really a coup for us. And that's our last show. That's May 15, 2022. You can get tickets at our website, baltimorechamberjazz.org. And, or you can buy a season subscription, which is $125 for all three shows, which is quite a bargain, given the yeah. caliber of these artists. Yeah, absolutely. What a lineup. So, yeah, that's quite a saving. So there is a discount for purchasing the series uh, for all those shows, Sunday, February 20th, uh, April 10th, and then May 15th. So everyone's marking their calendars. They're all reasonably priced anyway, and you could save even more um, by purchasing the series like that. And we have just a few minutes left, so um, we want to make sure we get to everything real quick. Is there anything else you have planned for uh, your 30th anniversary celebration this year? Well, first of all, of course, uh, we're very thrilled to have a season. We consider this to be the most celebratory part of our 30th anniversary, yes. considering, considering everything. But uh, we're going to try to build some additional activities around the concerts, which we haven't done before. So we're looking forward to, to that. And we're going to try to include some Baltimore area musicians um, in, in some of those activities. Because one of the things our patrons have mentioned to us in surveys is just trying to find a way to uh, feature some Baltimore area musicians. So uh, we're hoping to, to be able to do that as part, as part of the, um, the 30th anniversary. I love that you, you all definitely are in tune with what people want and you listen um, and you, and you do those things that you're really listening to, uh, to your audience there. That's cool, which continues to grow. Um, and are there other ways beside the tickets, by the way, for these shows? Um, the shows are all at five o'clock, which is, you know, very, very close to your heart with your five o'clock shows at the BMA. So that's cool. Um, is there any other way besides buying tickets to the show? Or is that, in fact, the best way that people can support the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society at this time? Well, of course, we, we welcome donations as well. And folks can make their donations uh, on the website or by check. And we are, as we mentioned, a nonprofit, which means we rely on people's donations and grants to keep going. So if you like music and want to support the organization and think jazz is worthy, we would really uh, appreciate your donations on our website. That's excellent. Again, that's uh, BaltimoreChamberJazz.org. There's also a link there for your Facebook page as well. Leslie uh, Gildin, who is the board member of the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society and a marketing consultant. Is there anything that you want to add? And we've been speaking with Mark Osteen, who is the vice chair of the board of the Baltimore Chamber Jazz Society, also a professor of English at Loyola University in Maryland, a musician and an author as well. Um, anything else uh, that either one of you want to add? We're in our final seconds here, uh, but I want to make sure that, you know maybe there's someone you want to thank or something. Uh, I would like to thank uh, the other members of the board, and especially our president, Bill Murray, who's been there for many, many years and antedates me by quite some time and has always been very good at supporting the board and uh, listening to everybody and helping to keep this organization going, and Juliana Marin, who's our administrative manager. Excellent. And Leslie, how about you? And then uh, I'm getting a wrap-up sign here, so but we're going to make sure that uh, people can get much more information. Well, I'll, I'll, I, will, I will just... I will just say, come to the website to add your name to our email list and like us on Facebook. And we hope to see you at a concert. Yes, for sure. And people can learn all about the organization, too, if they haven't learned enough this morning with both of you. Thank you both for sharing your knowledge, Mark and Leslie, and for joining me this morning. Thank you.
Excellent. Baltimore. Thank you for having us. Yes, it was a lot of fun and we learned a lot. BaltimoreChamberJazz.org again is the website to get more information about the exciting concert series coming up this spring. A couple of shows that you can check out. And uh, thank you all for listening. This has been a production of Odyssey Baltimore. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.